0: This episode is brought to you by Outgrow. Are you looking to grow your online business with a tool that's used by Salesforce, Nike, and Adobe, but also accessible to freelancers and entrepreneurs like us? Outgrow's powerful software allows any marketer to build a wide range of personalized, engaging tools, such as calculators, graders, assessments, and quizzes, without any technical or design experience. These interactive content pieces have been continuously outshining standard marketing techniques with over 38% conversion rates. Outgrow makes it easy for you to engage with your audience, assess their knowledge, recommend specific plans and products while improving your conversion rate. I personally love the vast number of tools they have available and am currently using Outgrow to build a chatbot. I've always been genuinely interested in adding one of these to my sites, but I've never pulled the trigger. OutGrow is helping me do that, and they can help you too. You can sign up for OutGrow at outgrow.co slash Joe. That's outgrow.co slash J O E to get a special 30 day free trial, no strings attached. Try OutGrow today to boost your business. Thanks so much to OutGrow for supporting the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of How I Built It, the podcast that asks, how did you build that? Today, we are on episode 204. I'm going to redo that. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of How I Built It, the podcast that asks, how did you build that? It is episode 204. Our sponsors are Outgrow, Restrict Content Pro, and Text Expander. You'll hear about them later. But first... Of course, I want to bring in a very special guest. Her name is Amber Hines. She is the founder and CEO of Equalize Digital. And we are going to be talking all about accessibility today. I'm super excited. Amber, how are you?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks.
0: Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for reaching out. I'm excited. As I was starting to do outreach for this season, I got an email from you and I thought, well, this is going to be perfect because uh, I am a web developer of 20 plus years at this point. And uh, I've had a couple of accessibility related topics on this show, which is uh, in its fifth year um, or fourth year, maybe. But um, I've never we've never explicitly talked about web accessibility. So I'm really excited you reached out Uh, before we get into a whole host of topics we're going to touch on. Why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do?
1: Sure. So as you mentioned, I'm the founder and CEO of Equalize Digital, which is a website accessibility consulting company. We do accessibility audits and remediation and accessible website and application development for largely, I'd say, um, large enterprises, government agencies, colleges and universities, K-12 schools, and some nonprofits. Um, and... I actually got into it. I Our main agency that is a parent company for Equalize is called Rotary Creative. And we've been running that for about um, five years. And we started doing several years ago work in with Colorado State University. And everything we launch for them has to be accessible. It has to meet um, WCAG or WCAG, however you want to pronounce that <laughs> two-point 1AA standards. And so we got into that. And this year, actually, we did a big shift where we did the rebrand with Equalize and pulled our accessibility work out into its own organization from the marketing agency.
0: That's that's fantastic. So it sounds like you, you work mostly with large organizations, uh, plus some nonprofits. I suspect those are uh, organizations that Uh, need to, I mean, everybody. every website technically needs to be accessible, right? Um, But these are the organizations that will more likely be targeted um, if they are not uh, accessible. Is that right?
1: Well, you know, what's really interesting about that is that um, I think we work with a lot of larger organizations or government agencies or universities because they know that they have Mm -hmm. to be accessible. And Uh, Anything that is federally funded under Section 508 of the Telecommunications Act is required to have an accessible website uh, and meet um, WCAG standards, but that's not actually who's really getting sued. So you ask, like, these are the people that are required to be accessible or might be targeted, but it's not actually the case because they know they're supposed to be accessible and they typically do a relatively good job of meeting those standards with anything new that's launched. this year, I think there were, let me look at my notes. There were uh, 3,550 ADA or un- in California under the UNRU Civil Rights Act uh, lawsuits. So about 10 per business day. And the businesses that were most targeted were 70, almost 78% of them were retail businesses. E-commerce is huge, especially with COVID and everyone shopping online now. Um, And then the second biggest is food service. And these aren't just necessarily like chain restaurants. Uh, Certainly there are chain restaurants that have been targeted or chain e-commerce stores that have received lawsuits. But there's also mom and pop restaurants and one-off e-commerce businesses as well.
0: That's that's really interesting, right? Because as as you mentioned, we're talking about the year 2020, and a lot of on uh, a lot of retail businesses and food service businesses in March, right? Because uh, we're I'm I'm based in the US, you're also based in the US. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's when the lockdowns really started to happen here, and a lot of businesses rushed to get something, anything online, and so they probably were already out of their depth. They didn't know what the best thing they needed was. And then uh, they probably had no idea how to make a website accessible or what they needed to do to make a website accessible.
1: Or they might not have even known that it was a thing.
0: Right, You know, right. Uh,
1: Unfortunately, a lot of us, we just think, well, I use a mouse or I use my phone and I can see how things work. And so online ordering for delivery or takeout or buying something online to be shipped to my house, I just think about, well, this is how I would do it. It works for me. This is great. And you don't necessarily always realize there are people that maybe can't see the screen, people who can't use a mouse, or they, even an older person with arthritis, if your touch points on your mobile device are too small, it's hard for them to get the right tap target. So
0: yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. And I would think, uh, and, and after this, we'll get into like defining everything that we just talked about. Um, I would think that Pla- uh, so first of all, I haven't done the research on this, but I would imagine that many online reta- retailers looked to something like Shopify um, to get their website online. Or I'm sure there's a similar niche product for, for online restaurants. Um, I would expect them to enable uh, their websites to be accessible. But is that it, maybe that's a misconception on my part, or maybe it's a moving target, so it's hard.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think the thing that's interesting about accessibility is a lot of it has to do with themes. So Shopify, just like WordPress, you mm-hmm. choose a theme. And um, Shopify, you don't just have to choose a theme that's in their theme directory. You can also have someone custom develop it. So again, if they went to a local developer and said, build me a Shopify site or a designer who knows who's like a mm-hmm. Shopify power user, just like right. are WooCommerce power users, right? That build sites for people. If they don't know that they could have not chosen a theme or they could have built a theme that didn't have accessibility in sort of the theme functionality. But then there's this other piece of accessibility, which is how you enter the content into your website. Um, one of our testers, we work with uh, blind and visually impaired people. We hire them to test websites for us. And one of them actually had a really great example that he shared with a client about image alt tags, for example. And he was talking about how he went on a, a website to order a pizza. We won't describe mm-hmm. what it is. And he's using a screen reader. He's completely blind. Um, and he got to where he could set all the things. And then the toppings were images. And there wasn't an alt tag. To describe well, this one is pepperoni. This one is onions. This one's green peppers. Whatever that might be. So he had to. He's like, I can either order a cheese pizza, or I could pick random toppings and be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but no, he's like, I had to stop because right. I could not. I literally could not order that product online. And that's not necessarily something that's in the code. That's right. probably something that a content manager or a marketing manager or someone who doesn't touch code at all, entered in and forgot to fill in the alt text box.
0: Yeah. And that's, so that's really interesting, right? Because that's also something uh, that's easy for, I mean, it's easy for me to forget, right? I'm just kind of dropping images in my blog post and maybe the images aren't integral to the content. They're just there as like a additional sidebar or whatever. Yeah, Mm -hmm. right. A supplement, right? And so... um, uh sometimes I'll I'll forget as well I, I try to be mindful but if I'm doing something fast obviously um it might not be on my checklist so uh let's and so and I we will circle back to this because I, I do want to know do all images need alt tags or is it like the important ones or how what's a good way to write an alt tag right because like just mm-hmm. image of me is probably not a good one but like man with beard and hat is a lot better or whatever um so uh but first, we've thrown around a few terms that I think probably need to be defined. Um, you mentioned WCAG. I will say it your your way. I was always saying WCAG, but WCAG is probably more right because you're saying, you're pronouncing all the letters instead of like singling one out, whatever. Um, and <laughs> I then don't you-
1: know. <laughs> I heard it both ways. Yeah. So I don't know. It's more comfortable for me that way. Yeah. Somebody else is going to listen to this podcast and say, oh my gosh, this is horrible. Why is she pronouncing <laughs> it like that? <laughs>
0: Well, if there is if there is uh, somebody who knows the official official pronunciation, uh, you can let me know over at How I Built It. Um, so, so you mentioned WCAG and then you mentioned that um, all of these websites that you're working with primarily need to be 2.1 double A or AA um, a, a rating of that. So, what is WCAG? And what are the ratings? Just like a high-level overview.
1: Sure. So WCAG stands for Web Content Accessibility Guidelines. They are internationally agreed-upon standards that are developed by committee and volunteers. Anyone can volunteer and contribute to them. Um, And there have been different versions. So 2.1 was released a couple of years ago. And actually, I should clarify, a lot of our clients, we do 2.1 because that is the current standard. But if you're a government agency, Section 508 specifies 2.0. So, Anything that is t- that is a further version is also backwards, so it covers all okay. of that. So 2.1 is better than 2.0, but legally they're only required to meet 2.0. Gotcha. Um, 2.2 was supposed to come out in November, but because of COVID and some things, it got delayed, and it's expected about mid-year next year. And then a major version change to the guidelines is 3.0, which has sort of a code name of Silver. So sort of like in WordPress, we... Name WordPress versions after jazz singers. There's a code name for um, a web content accessibility guideline versions, and uh, 3.0 is, I believe, expected in 2022. There is, if you listen to or you go on YouTube, you can see the WordPress Accessibility Day talks, and I moderated a talk with Sherry Bernhaber, who is on the silver committee. And she talked a lot about what is coming in that. And it's a really excellent talk for anybody who wants to be forward-looking. So there's different versions that are basically released sets of guidelines. Within those versions, there are what's called success criteria. So they are numbered items that a website can be tested against in order to determine if if it is accessible. And these success criteria have three different levels. A is the absolute most basic, which is something like if it's a pre recorded video, it should have captions so that someone who can't hear the video can understand what is being said. Um, and then AA is sort of the middle, and AAA is the highest and most accessible. It can be very challenging to make an entire website AAA compliant. Most people consider AA the standard. And then there might be certain situations when you try to meet the AAA guidelines.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so uh, A is the most basic. You actually mentioned uh, captions in video, uh, which makes me think about... um, uh, what kind of added expense making a website accessible is right now. People will look at that as a, this is a cost I don't need, but I would argue that is it's definitely a cost you do need, right? My podcast has had transcripts since season three. um, And it's, it's certainly an added cost, but there have been, uh, first of all, it makes my podcast accessible for people who uh, can't listen. Um, but there have also been benefits to it. You know, my, my mm-hmm. website ranks higher. The content is more searchable. Uh, I definitely saw an increase in traffic after my transcripts got added to the website. So, um... Well, and that,
1: that's something on uh, NPR. They actually did a scientific study on that a couple years ago with a couple of their podcasts where they were testing whether they should have full transcripts or just the little blurb summary. Uh And they determined that it significantly helped. Just like you were saying, their search engine ranking, time on site, engagement, like people were now going to multiple pages, whereas they would just go to one episode and bounce. Mm -hmm. Um, So it has a lot of benefits besides making it available to people who can't hear. It could also help people in situations where maybe they, they are a hearing person, but they're, you know laying in bed trying to pat their kid to sleep, yeah. right? But, but they want to look at something on their phone, you know, yep. or they're sitting on a, a train and they forgot their headset and they don't want to bother everybody, but they still want to engage with the content.
0: This episode is brought to you by Restrict Content Pro. If you need a fast, easy way to set up a membership site for yourself or your clients, look no further than the Restrict Content Pro WordPress plugin. Easily create premium content for members using your favorite payment gateway, manage members, send member-only emails, and more. You can create any number of subscription packages, including free trials and even free tiers. But that's not all. Their extensive add-ons library allows you to do even more, like drip out content, connect with any number of CRMs and newsletter tools, including my favorite, ConvertKit, And you can integrate with other WordPress plugins like BBPress. When the Build Something Club comes out later this month, you can bet it's going to be using Restrict Content Pro. I'm a big fan of the team. I'm a big fan of the tool. And I know they do fantastic work over there. If you want to learn more about Restrict Content Pro and start making money with your own membership site today, head on over to howibuilt.it slash rcp. That's how I builtit .it/ RCP to learn more and get a special offer for listeners only. Thanks so much to Restrict Content Pro for supporting the show. I've been in many situations where I'm looking to, looking for something to do. Actually, just yesterday, as we record this, I was looking for the best way to like oven bake bacon. Um, cause like, I didn't want to get my skillet out or whatever. And, uh, I asked my Amazon show echo show, Hey, like how to, what's the temperature or whatever. And they're like, here's a video. And I'm like, I don't want a video. I want a single sentence that tells me what to preheat the oven to. So yeah, you don't I've, want
1: to watch 15 minutes. And yeah.
0: <laughs> <like>. <laughs> so, yeah. um, but, but there is, there, there will be an, an additional cost for making a website accessible. How can, um, how can people prepare for that in their budgets as web developers? A lot of people who listen are web developers and small business owners. How can they integrate that into uh, proposals uh, and, and, and things like that?
1: Sure. Well, I think there's two ways to approach that, which is from the agency or the developer perspective. Um, for us, when we were before we pulled it out and created Equal as Digital and we were just proposing projects under Roadware Creative, we typically had accessibility as an option Mm -hmm. unless we knew that the client, like we had already discussed it and they came to us, but we were like, this is an option we're putting on every proposal. Um, And for us, it I mean, our code base, our starter theme, we use custom themes, it's all accessible. Um, But what we have found from an agency perspective is that there are sometimes more things if you have custom functionality, if you're embedding like HTML canvas elements, if anyone knows Mm -hmm. what that is, there's special things that have to happen because those aren't accessible to someone on a screen reader. It just says like graphic, (laughs) right? (laughs) Um, so there's different code things that have to happen. So on that front, we frequently have to account for that in in time. Um, the other thing that we've found a lot as from an agency perspective is that there's a lot more training that has to go into it with clients. And when they, you know, you give them, here's our content request, you fill it all in, then we have to spend time going through it and saying, So some of the common problems that we see and we have to educate people on, one is ambiguous anchor links. So that's when you have the text for your link and it it doesn't make sense out of context. So a really obvious thing for that is like, click here.
0: Mm -hmm. People
1: link that all the time. And if someone is on a screen reader, they don't have the context. They just start going through links. They're just going to hear click here and they won't know why would I click here? Where does it go? Um, but even things like email or website can be ambiguous when it's on a page where like a directory page where you're listing out, here's five different people and, and email is the link to them. You actually need to have something so that a screener would read email for Amber Hines. So I would know, oh, this is the link to email Amber Hines. So there's a lot of those kinds of things where we have to go through their content that they provided us with and, um, and, you know, either have conversations with them about it or just make the change and by adding screen reader text or whatever that might be on the development end. Um, and then I feel like another thing is heading level. We Mm -hmm. notice a lot if people are, are coming to us with an existing website that needs work, you know, we need to do some training about, you can't just pick the heading level because you like the way it looks. Right. They actually make sense in a numerical order and there's a reason for that. Um, So I feel like from an agency perspective, you sort of have to figure out what are the top problems that you're seeing or the top things and then account for that time. And we on every project would put it as an option because as much as we want every website to be 100% accessible, it's just like as much as I'd love to write all the content for every website, because I think it would make it really awesome. Sometimes clients don't have the budget for that or they really just want to do their own content. And And it, you know, and it may not be what you would do, but, um, so I think there's that from a, from a website receiver perspective, I think that you can't afford to not make your website accessible, at least currently with current laws, there is, it's sort of a roll of the dice, you have no idea if you're going to get sued or not. Right. Uh, Certainly the more high profile your website is, you know, if you run, let's say Google AdWords or paid social media ads and you are driving traffic there, certainly that increases your likelihood, right? More visibility than if you're just, I have a small brochure website that's four pages. I don't really send people there and my traffic is like, you know, A hundred people a month. Right. The likelihood of getting sued is a lot lower. So that's something that a business owner has to weigh. Um, But if you think about if your attorney bills you $250 an hour and you get a lawsuit, just responding to that is going to cost you thousands of dollars. Right. And I've seen some reports where they're saying that most of the time you have to settle because there's no like that's just what you do. And just settling could cost you $300,000. Now, all of a sudden, you're thinking, boy, putting an extra five into my website at the time that I build it is probably worth it.
0: It's, It's very similar to making your website secure, right? Like, I've had clients who I've tried to say, hey, we should, like, spend a little extra money shoring up the security of your website so you don't get hacked. And then they get hacked, and then they spend four or five times that. Doing the recovery and then shoring mm-hmm. up their website. I think that's so interesting. Now you, uh, you mentioned that there's no way of knowing if you'll get sued. Uh, I'm wondering because I read this earlier in the year, but i I don't want I don't want to use like scare tactics or say like this could happen. But I did read about a gentleman who was suing random businesses that he went to uh, websites, uh, and there was really nothing that those businesses could do about it, right? Because the legal argument was sound. It's not like you can't sue because you're not a customer. If you visit the website, it's not accessible. You're liable mm-hmm. for, for a lawsuit, right?
1: Yeah. So there, and actually, the other thing to be aware of is that you don't have to. You you won't necessarily get sued in the state where your business is based. Mm-hmm. So if you are an e-commerce business, especially if you mail products to people in California or New York, which are the top states for lawsuits. You can be sued in New York or California. Um, there's, there is. Um, I think seventy. So seventy percent of all cases are brought by ten plaintiff law firms. So there are wow. law firms that specialize in this kind of lawsuit. Um, there are definitely plaintiffs who sue lots of websites. They call them kind of drive-by. ADA mm-hmm. lawsuits, yeah. where they're just finding every website that they can find. Um, word of caution, some of those plugins that are out there, and I won't name any, but they're they're overlays that that say, add a line of JavaScript to your <laughs> website and we'll make it accessible. They can be scanned for. And there are actually a number of websites, or sorry, a number of lawsuits that cite that the Website is using that plugin and it is failing to make it accessible. Multiple of those plugins, so it's not just one. Wow. And they're still getting sued. Uh, so, so there is that, which is the it's not great. There is actually a bill right now that has been proposed um, in the house, which will stop someone's ability to just sue a business without even contacting them first.
0: Okay, because that was going to be my next question, right? Like, you, like if there's a copyright infringement, like you'll usually get a cease and desist first, mm-hmm. right? But there's nothing like that right now for ADA web for ADA lawsuits.
1: There is not, and there's no guidelines under the ADA about what accessible means. So people assume that it means following web content accessibility guidelines, web, mm-hmm. WCAG. Um, But there's no real proof to that or specific judicial guidelines saying that this is, this is what it is. Um, the, there was a case against dominoes that was pretty high profile that mm-hmm. went to the Supreme Court last year and um, the Supreme Court declined to hear it. They basically said that the lower court's decision stood, which was against dominoes. So that was considered a win for accessibility rights advocates um, you know, and so it's hard because there are people that are obviously abusing this to make money. Right, right. But there are also some very legitimate cases where someone really couldn't do what they wanted. And if the lawsuit hadn't happened, progress would not have been made.
0: Right. Yeah. It, yeah. Like you said, the lawsuit might be um, required to I mean, you know, laws like the um uh, now, the ADA is, is short for American Disability Act, right?
1: Americans with Disabilities Act, yes.
0: Americans with Disabilities Act. And so um, l- laws are really defined in the courts, right? As as many lawyers I listen to on podcasts say, um, a law is meaningless unless a court decides on it, basically. Um, mm-hmm. So we need these lawsuits essentially to define how they're going to play out and then how we as web developers need to act accordingly. Mm-hmm. Well, I should state that at this point, I'm not a lawyer. Amber, are you a lawyer? I
1: am not a lawyer. And whenever I do webinars, that is the first thing I say.
0: (laughs) Um, So we're we're just kind of spitballing here. But there are, so I mean, let's talk about, we talked about the scary part. I have like an irrational fear of getting sued. Um, So we talked about the scary part, but let's talk about the proactive things that we can do to make websites accessible. We've kind of talked about the importance. We've just defined WCAG and, and the, the three ratings. I would say aim for double A if you can, but uh, at the very least do single A. Um, at, at, at the core, a good semantic HTML helps a lot with accessibility. Is that an accurate statement? Yes. Great. So. Um, if you are a a general website developer, if you're like a WordPress theme developer, using proper HTML markup, using CSS when you're supposed to use CSS, um, if you're using like JavaScript to change the content, probably there's a better way to do that or there's a way to make that accessible. Make sure you're doing those things, I would say at the very least, right?
1: Yeah, and, and don't don't add text with CSS. So before yes. and after elements should not add text to the website. Those kinds uh, of things.
0: That's super interesting. I would always <laughs> use that for like uh, to append author to uh, like uh, if I commented on one of my blog posts. Um, but yeah, that's something so that, that, would that mean I, yeah. that
1: somebody on a screen reader might not know that you were the author commenting on your blog post.
0: Right. So that doesn't show. up. That's super interesting. That doesn't mm-hmm. show up in the screen reader. You
1: have you have to assume that somebody is looking at could be looking at the website with no styles.
0: Yeah. Right. That's, wow. That's a great point. So before and if, after you should use for like flourishes, like mm-hmm. maybe like a quote, maybe icons or decorative things. Nothing that
1: adds important information. Okay. I think if, if you are a theme developer, um, the codex, which I don't think it's called the codex anymore. This will show how old I am. <laughs> it's
0: like, it's like super con- half of it's still the codex. Half of it is at wordpress.
1: Yeah, so there is a lot of information about um, if you wanted to build an accessibility-ready theme, which is what we call them, because as I mentioned before, a lot of it has to do with how content is entered, so you can never say your theme is accessible. Um, But there are some good guidelines there for developers on what's considered the minimum in order for a theme to be considered accessibility-ready. There's things like adding... Uh, quick links if somebody hits the tab key which allows them to skip the navigation and go to the content or jump to the footer or jump back up to the navigation pretty quickly that it explains how to do those sorts of things so that would be a great place to start I think if you're a developer and you're not sure Uh, another big thing to be aware of is color contrast and this applies a lot to designers Um, there are tons of free color content color contrast checkers out there. Wave has a one that's really popular and basically the color in your foreground. If you have text has to have a certain luminance ratio to whatever the background color is to make it readable for people with low vision. And again, remember this applies to a lot of us as we age. Uh, So it's, You might think, well, how many people are (laughs) low vision, right? But if you start to think about older populations, it's a lot of people. Um, So you really have to think about what the contrast is between any text and the background that it's on, whether it's over an image or it's just over a solid color or a gradient.
0: Yeah. And and if we're talking specifically about WordPress here, um, you know, Gutenberg slash the block editor. Uh, has added that uh, into yes. their blocks, which I think is really nice. Um, but I will it warns link- you. Yes, it does, and uh, that has been helpful for me. I you know I feel like usually I can eyeball it, but sometimes I can't. Um, I will link to a few of the the resources you mentioned. Um, I, in my uh, HTML and CSS Visual Quick Start Guide book, uh, I have a whole chapter dedicated to accessibility. So I got to try out uh, some of the, um color contrast stuff. I had a, I found a plugin, uh, that would essentially change, um, uh, recreate your website for people with certain different color blindness, um, Mm -hmm. which, which I thought was uh, so very eye opening to me. Um, and also I thought it was like pretty interesting that they could do that. I took a photo of my daughter and I changed, uh, and I adjusted it. And so that picture's in the book. My daughter's is in my book, which is cool, but, um, there's a lot of really good resources there to help but um
1: yeah so can I say something about those kinds of plugins yes yes Uh, so so there are there's probably like maybe 15 plus plugins on the .org directory now that are different types of overlays Mm -hmm. I think they're a lot less likely like what we talked about where they can be scanned for like some of the mass market ones that can be used on any website Uh, but the one thing to keep in mind while those tools, the ones that are just like, it allows people to make text bigger or it can change it so it's reverse, so it's dark rather than a light background, or it can make it all black and white or whatever that might be. Those are, I think, less problematic than something that says, oh, I'm going to add alt text for you right. because how can AI you know, right. really do a good job of that? Um, but that said, like a lot of those tools, I think, make people think that they're making their website accessible, and they're they're, they're not. not. So yeah. I'm like wary of that.
0: I should I should state here that I mean, um, these this was all for testing. So this is like a Chrome extension, not a WordPress mm-hmm. plugin. Um Okay. But I think yeah. your I think your disclaimer is super important, right? Because I could see somebody listening to this and then saying like colorblind plugin for WordPress, right?
1: And the other I think the other thing that maybe people don't think about and we see this a lot of clients is they're like, "Well, we need one of these. We need something for people to make their screen bigger or whatever you know whatever this might be. But the thing is is most people who need that functionality they have a they have software on their computer mm-hmm. that does that for them, yeah. so they don't really need your website to do that for them, and in fact, sometimes those plugins can conflict with the software that they use and they already know how to use and then they have to learn something new just to get around your website which as you can imagine depending upon their patience level <laughs> might mean right. you've just lost a customer or whatever that might be so so mm-hmm. i was, i always kind of show, go err on the side of don't use those tools
0: <laughs> yeah yeah for but, sure Sorry, the one the one that I was talking about specifically was Colorblindly, which is a Chrome extension. Okay, that I was using to change the colors. Yes, so you installed that. Yes, for my website, and then I'm like, oh, this looks terrible for people who are say red green colorblind. Mm -hmm. I should adjust Mm -hmm. this. Yeah.
1: So that allowed you to see whether the colors on your website were causing problems for people.
0: Yes, exactly. Which brings us into the next topic, right? Which is Mm -hmm. testing. You mentioned in the pre-show or maybe in the the our pre-recording conversation, that there are a couple of ways to do testing, both manual and automated. Um, Mm -hmm. Why don't we start with manual and then we'll talk about a very special tool that you have that can help.
1: Yes. So um, it is important to know that only about 30% of accessibility, 30 to 40% of accessibility problems can be found automated with an automated test. So you do have to manually test your website. And what that looks like is doing a number of things. The first one is very basic, which hopefully we all do when we launch a website, which is look at it in multiple browsers on multiple screen sizes. So test it on different phones, different tablets, different PCs or Macs, and different browsers. And then within that, then the first thing we do is we do keyboard navigation only. So assume you don't have a mouse, and use the tab and the arrow keys to move through the website you want to make sure that you have a clear focus indicator so every time you hit tab it is very obvious to you where you are are you around a navigation item are you around a link are you in a field for a form whatever that might be you want to try to trigger every button or link with your keyboard only can you move sliders can you play and pause videos. Can you submit a form, add a product to a cart, whatever that might be without using a mouse. So that's the first thing you wanna do. And then once you've done the keyboard navigation, you want to test with a screen reader. If you have Macs, you can use VoiceOver, it's built into screen readers, or sorry, it's built into Macs and it's there and available and free. If you have a PC, uh, there's a couple of different options. I like. NVDA, which is an open source one, so it's free. Anyone can download it. Uh, JAWS is a really popular one, which we do testing with, but it's somewhat expensive. So if you're not, if you're just using it for testing, you probably don't need to. I do recommend testing with multiple screen readers because they don't all say the same things. Which you might, you might be surprised. <laughs> that was surprising to me at first. It encountered the same element, and two different screen readers say two different things. So we recommend testing with at least two and testing on Windows and a Mac. Um, And that's basically the same thing. You move through the website with your keyboard only, with the screen reader turned on, and you listen to what the screen reader says and think, is this confusing? Um, You can also try, there's different keyboard shortcuts in screen readers, like you can navigate by headings. So you could, in NVDA, if you press the two key, it'll read out all of the heading twos. Mm -hmm. And then you could, Jump to one of them, which is a way that people, right, a sighted person can skim and find the information they want easily. But someone who is blind or has a strong visual impairment can't do that. And so this is how they skim content, which is why the heading levels matter. So if you skip your heading two and you've just have heading one and heading three, they hit two, they'll think there's no headings on the page, and they won't bother to hit the three key, and they'll think there's no way I can skim this page. So, um, so you want to. Test all of those things um, as well with the screen reader just to make sure the functionality works.
0: That's, that's really interesting. Now, as you were speaking, uh, I was kind of doing some of the things on my personal website. Uh, <laughs> again, when I wrote my book, I did all of this because I, I needed screenshots. I, there are videos that accompany the book. Um, and so I ran it through. But I recently changed themes and just going to my website in Safari and hitting tab. Brought me to the three form fields on the website, and then back to the address bar.
1: Oh, yeah, because you have a tab index set on your form, so it forces it to the front, even though the form is probably at the bottom of your page.
0: That's exactly right. So that's really yeah. interesting. This is maybe something that we could discuss in the in the members only uh, section of the show. but um I was a little I was a little alarmed to see that because I'm using a reputable theme development shop. Um, Mm -hmm. and if I'm, if I'm just testing and hitting tab, um, you know, that, that failed and maybe that's something that I should, I need to work on. Right.
1: And, and that's, what's interesting, right? Because that sort of thing is probably come from whatever form plugin that you're using. Mm -hmm. There's an option where you can set a tab index on that form when you embed it in the page and you did it and you. I, you know, I don't know why you did it, or you might not have even known if you should or not. And so you did, because I, you know, I know people do that too, but what happens is, is you have, maybe you have a theme that has the skip to content links and it's perfectly set up, but now the some setting in some plugin has caused a problem, which is overriding the great theme you have. (laughs) Right. And so that's where it's a little challenging You know, and I think there's a whole nother piece, which we won't even get into, but if you are linking PDF documents or Word documents or any of those things on your website, they also have to be accessible. So any content that you share with someone, if you have a PDF download, you have to make sure that that can be accessed also. And it it kind of follows similar guidelines as a website as far as having headings and things like that.
0: Oh, that's yeah. very—that's really interesting. Yeah, that's again, that's not something I would have I would have thought of at all. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I'm gonna—I mean, I'm gonna stop uh, looking at the code on my website right now because it's very <laughs> distracting. But I'm gonna,
1: I'm gonna, you're gonna leave with homework. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> to your tab index—the yes. first—the first thing when you're doing keyboard navigation and you hit tab, the first thing you should see is skip links. Uh, you, with the one exception of sometimes, and we've done this for some clients. The first thing when you see when you hit tab is a link to visit the accessibility help page where it has their accessibility statement and then it goes to skip links, but it's like a hidden link that pops up when you hit tab. Interesting, But generally, that's the first thing you want to do because you want to allow people to bypass the navigation and get to the content quickly, especially right. if you have a very large navigation. We've right. built websites for government agencies that have like, I don't know, 60 things in dropdowns, right? <laughs> and yeah. then, can you imagine if you had to go through every single one of those items on every page just to get to the text of the page?
0: This episode is brought to you by Text Expander. It's a new year, and you can start off on the right foot by reclaiming your time. With Text Expander, you can save time by converting any text you type into keyboard shortcuts called snippets. Say goodbye to repetitive text entry, spelling and message errors, and trying to remember the right thing to say. With Text Expander, you can say the right thing in just a few keystrokes. Better than copy and paste, better than scripts and templates, text expander snippets allow you to maximize your time by getting rid of the repetitive things you type while still customizing and personalizing your messages. Text expander can be used in any platform, any app, anywhere you type. Take back your time and increase your productivity in the new year. And Let me just say that snippets is not all it does. With advanced snippets, you can create fill-ins, pop-up fields, and much more. You can even use JavaScript or AppleScript. I can type out full instructions for my podcast editor, Hi Joel, in just a few keystrokes. Another one of my favorite and most used snippets is PPT. This will take whatever text I have on my keyboard and convert it to plain text, so I'm no longer fighting formatting. Plus, if you have employees or contractors, you can use Text Expander to manage and share snippets with them, so you all get it right every time. I've recently started sharing Text Expander snippets with my virtual assistant. This year, how I built it is focusing on being productive while working from home. Text Expander is the perfect tool for that. Plus, they're providing resources and blog posts to help you make the most of their tool and be productive. Text Expander is available on macOS, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. If you've been curious about trying Text Expander or simple automation in general, now is the time. Listeners can get 20% off their first year. Just visit textexpander.com slash podcast and let them know that I sent you. Okay, so so you've given us a few ways where we can manually test, uh, mm-hmm. which as we just demonstrated in real time is important, right? Because um, uh, again, <laughs> I made an assumption because I used a reputable theme developer and I made, I'm using only native stuff, right? It's like the Gutenberg editor and whatever. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's still, that's why it's important to test. Um, yep. Now, you also have a tool that helps you with automated testing. Is that right?
1: Yes. So we just launched uh, at the beginning of December a plugin called Accessibility Checker. And there's a free version in WordPress.org. And then we have a pro version. And the goal of this plugin is to test for accessibility problems Mm -hmm. on websites. And we actually launched it because we would build these websites for our clients We would train them on how to be accessible. I would hand them a PDF checklist. Like every time you write a blog post or edit content on the page, make sure all these things are true. And unfortunately, I would very rapidly see their websites stop being accessible because of content entry problems. Mm -hmm. And I kept saying, we need something right on the post or page edit screen that tells them as they are adding their content or editing the content that's already there, Hey, there's a problem here. You want to look at. So that this year with COVID, we, you know, had a little slowdown and I said, you know what we're going to do with our slowdown. We're going to build (laughs) our solutions, keeping websites accessible.
0: That's, that's fantastic. And again, um, I have the, uh, the pro version of accessibility checker. So, uh, you can, look for a uh, video on my YouTube channel um, uh, around the same time this episode comes out where you can uh, see how it works. And I'll link to all of that in the show notes over at howibuilt.it slash 204 as well. Um, Now, you mentioned that only 30 to 40% of accessibility issues can be tracked with um, automated testing. But it sounds like this this is really about testing and then guiding the user to making to making sure their content input is correct
1: yeah so the goal the goal with it is yes to help them with and it does test more than content so um, it tests the full page so you're going to find things that are related to coding potentially that Mm -hmm. have to be fixed by a developer if you're not a developer right um but it will also flag content things. In our pro version, uh, we are about to release a version that does a full site scan. So it doesn't just, you don't just have to go into um, a post or a page to see the audit. And and that is really great if you're installing it on a website that has 500 posts, yeah. you know, or more. You can really quick at a glance find things that are obvious fixes like missing alt tags or headings out of order or um, ambiguous anchor links, all, all kinds of different mm-hmm. things like that. Um, so automated scanning, even though it can't find everything because it's not a human being and it doesn't really, you know, it can't know how does the screen reader read this and doesn't make sense. Uh, it is a very important part of testing because it can help speed up and solve some of the more obvious problems. I mean, the missing alts, on images is one of the things that is almost always cited in lawsuits when they describe why is this website being sued? And I'm just like, it's like, um, it's almost the easiest thing because any CMS, WordPress, Shopify, any of them, they have a little field where you can write what the alt is. But if you haven't been doing that, it's hard to know. I've got all these posts. Do I, how do I have to go back and click on every image to see if there's an alt there? So that's why an automated tool is great because it can just tell you, oh, here's the Thirty posts and the specific image on those thirty posts that are missing the alt tag.
0: Absolutely, and so that brings us back to something that we touched on earlier in this episode, which is: Do all images need alt tags? What makes a good alt tag? Um, so, so let's start with the first question: Do all images need alt tags? No. Okay.
1: So, images that are purely decorative and provide zero added information to the content or supplementary mm-hmm. information do not need alt tags. You want, so actually I should say they they need to have the alt equals and then it should have empty quotes. Okay. So it can't not have the alt tag. If it is missing an alt tag, then that is a problem because it will then announce it as an image, but it'll just say image. And then sometimes it'll read out the file name, which, if you can imagine, <laughs> yeah, could Mine not always be like useful. S-
0: screenshot and then a date. <laughs> like,
1: yeah, just, yeah, right. Oh, right or took like this yesterday. some really long string of numbers.jpeg, yeah. right? right? Um, so y- it needs to have an alt tag, but if it is purely decorative, then the alt tag should be empty. And in that case, the screen reader ignores it and doesn't even announce that there's an image there. I gotcha. think there's a little bit of discussion about what is purely decorative
0: mm-hmm. um yeah
1: you know art is a featured image for a blog post decorative is it not right yeah. Th- there's a little bit of discussion there but i think the idea is, is if you chose that image because you think it provides something complementary to the content on the page then it's not decorative right um and um uh, you also don't want your alt tag to be repetitive. So we see this sometimes on team bio pages where they have got the picture of the person and it says, you know, um, Joe Smith and, and then, um, and then it has their name right below. Uh, Right. So then there's, there's a lot of discussion. Should we have that one be empty because it doesn't matter. But then there's also like you described before, like, should it say, you know, Joe man with beard. Right. Um, and, and there is some some point to that. It's hard, you know, if you're doing it for a whole team, you don't want to, there's a whole thing's like, do you want to gender people? Do you want to right. like, right? But if you can allow people to describe themselves, sometimes that is important information because if someone were to be meeting with that person and they were going to bring someone along with them to help them find that person. Sure. Then they they'd know, just like a sighted person would know if I went and looked at, a bio page for this person I'm meeting and I saw their picture, I'd be like, oh, you know, that's a, a woman with brown hair, right. you know, or has the appearance of a woman, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I could then, if I was a blind person and it read that out to me, I could then share with someone, oh, I'm meeting, they have brown shoulder length hair, you know, right. so, so there's some discussion there, um, but generally you want it to convey what is in the image or what's happening.
0: Gotcha. Um, So if we're looking at examples here, right, if you are saying like this graph, this graph shows the number of COVID cases over time in the United States, Um, Mm -hmm. you would want an alt tag for that, right? Yes.
1: And and with that, you would probably have an alt tag, which says, so this is interesting too, when it's a graph or a chart Mm -hmm. or a map, you would say something like graph of COVID cases in the United States over time, more information below image.
0: More information below and image. And
1: then, below the image, you would put the table. Okay. That contains all the data
0: that the graph and hopefully a from.
1: properly formatted table, so that they can then see, you know, here's the state and here's the number of cases and by month or whatever that might be, because they need that information. So, so the alt tag can also be useful in telling people where to find right. the information if you have a complex graphic.
0: Right. That they'd
1: otherwise be missing out
0: on. Now, if we're talking about, well, let me tie up this one end first, right? Um, uh, Recently, I published a blog post about my favorites of 2020. Uh, In some cases, it would be like, favorite TV show, Ted Lasso. And then I'd have like a a screen grab from Ted Lasso, uh, which Mm -hmm. is, I would say, more decorative than not because I just put it there to break up the text. But is that i mean that sounds like something i probably should describe right a, a still from the tv show ted lasso with ted and and beard coach beard uh,
1: yeah i mean i i and i i don't know if you'd necessarily say like still shot from the tv show what you might think about is what is that still shot from the TV show conveying? So, mm-hmm. I've never heard of Ted Lasso.
0: <laughs> oh man, it's an so, excellent show.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I also don't really have TV, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the dark ages on all that stuff. But, but right, if I were looking at this blog post, I might see it and I might know something about the room they're standing in. Mm-hmm. Um, or you know, like it might tell me if this is a sci fi TV show, right. if this is a TV show set back. In olden days, because of the right. clothes they're wearing, right? Like, there's a lot that's probably communicated by that still shot, right? So, just saying, like, screenshot of Ted Lasso TV show leaves out people on screen readers who are missing. No, you don't want to write a book, right? Right, right. But perhaps you want to describe, you know,
0: yeah, two soccer coaches that standing in sets their office, the or scene, yeah,
1: because that yeah. would help people on a screen reader know, oh, maybe this is a show I want to check out.
0: Interesting. Okay, good to know. I'm I'm glad that I'm using this show to get my own like personal consultation. Um, <laughs> now, I do want to circle back to the graph, and then we'll wrap up because we've been talking forever. Uh, there's just like so much to know. Um, with the the graph specifically, right? There's the HTML tag fig, figure, and fig caption. Um, mm-hmm. Would those be the semantically appropriate things to use for for say a graph where? Um, I would say like more information below or would I include even include like the data table in the figure tag? Well, I, this is a little bit in the weeds, but I'm curious about it. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah, so with figures or canvas elements, you can put data tables right in there. Um, and that that is an appropriate solution. I think it depends on how big your data table is. Um, the other thing to think about is there was some support. There's not really much anymore for a long description, which is you could put a URL on the image and then um, certain screen readers would then read it out and people could go there to find the supportive data. But that's not those sorts of things are where you hide it. Like we've seen people be like, well, what if we just like wrap this all in a screen reader text? So it only reads out the data to someone on a screen reader. And I tend to advise against that because sighted people can usually benefit from tabular data also. So it makes more and it makes more sense to have it just visible on the page below your graph. If you don't want the whole transcript visible on the page, there are options to minimize it, but still have it available. Uh, We frequently do things like using an accordion, as long as it's properly coded, to put content on the page. And you can do the same thing with your data table if you don't want it. If you're worried that it's going to make the page look too long or if it messes with the design, you could also have it linked. So you could have a link below the graphic that says, you know, to view the data, go here. And it could open a different page or could download a document or maybe a spreadsheet. Again, if you have a document that you're downloading, it also must be accessible. So there there are ways to do that, but generally I would say that data for graphs and charts is beneficial to sighted people as well, and so you want to make it visible too.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting because it kind of goes back to the same thing that we said earlier, like good semantic HTML goes a long way. If you have good the good content and the right content, your website's going to be inherently more accessible uh so it's really you know just certain things you need to watch out for, like making sure videos and audio have have transcripts or captions um making sure that you have alt tags in the appropriate places I think that's that's really interesting um, so I know a lot of small well actually you know we touched on the the benefits of of how accessibility can help your your business as well, right because it makes it more accessible. It allows more people to visit your website and use your website. Maybe you're not losing customers because they can't get the toppings they want on, on the pizza that they're trying to order. Um, for those listening, where can, are there resources that you would recommend to help them learn more um, about accessibility?
1: I mean, it's good to go to the source. So if you're comfortable sort of wading through, I hate to say that, but wading through the success criteria and you go to w3c.org, you can find the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines and all of what those are. They also have really good help articles that explain different aspects of accessibility and if you're a developer, how you might implement them. If you use our accessibility checker plugin, we put a lot of effort into our documentation as well because we're trying to create an educational resource. So every item, when it flags, there's a little icon you can click on to go over to our website and read really detailed information about why this particular item got flagged and what is the relevant six, what the relevant success criteria are and how you might fix it. So that is helpful as well. Um, Wave is another very common testing tool that a lot of people use for one-off free tests. They also have an API that you can pay for if you want to do bulk testing. And they have pretty good documentation as well on webaim.org. There's a couple of podcasts that are interesting on more of the just learning generally about accessibility or how it works. People like the, uh, the Accessibility Rules podcast and accessible.org has a podcast if you're interested in the legal side, there's an attorney called Laney Feingold, who's been very active in the structured negotiation on accessibility cases, and she writes a lot about that, and she's a great resource as well. And then I think I previously mentioned WP Accessibility Day. That happened a couple months ago, and I think it might be WPaccessibilityday.org. If you just Google WP Accessibility Day, you'll find all the YouTube videos. And that's great as well for WordPress specific information.
0: Awesome. And I will be sure to link all of that, everything we talked about in the show notes over, over at how I slash 204. Now, before we go, I do need to ask you two questions. The first is, do you have any trade secrets for us?
1: My trade secret. I think I think the biggest thing is just trying to be aware of what other people do or think. I don't think, I I don't know if that's a secret as much, but it's really important to get out and talk to your website users. So if you're a website owner, talk to your customers and find out what problems they have on your site. A lot of the accessibility things go hand in hand with UX and user experience, and you'd be surprised the things that might confuse people. Um, A really great tool for this too, if you kind of want to spy on people on your website is Hotjar. That allows you to put a tracking script on and then you can watch recordings of interactions of people on your website. And we'll do this a lot when we're trying to figure out if there's an accessibility or usability problems or if people have been confused or not taking it. And and I think you get like a 14-day free trial of a full business plan or something, which if you have a high traffic website, 14 days might give you a lot of data.
0: That is, I'm just gonna give you a hot tip for Hotjar right now is I cheaped out and only installed it on the landing page that I wanted to test, which means I never saw what people did when they clicked off that landing page, uh, which included going to my checkout process. So if you're going to do this, make sure you install it sitewide so that you could see what people are doing everywhere on your website.
1: And, and I think you get like a 14-day free trial of a full business plan or something, which if you have a high traffic website, 14 days might give you a lot of data.
0: Yeah, for sure. Maybe team that up with like some ad campaign. Not that I want to spend people's money, but you know, if you, if you can anticipate a high volume of traffic over a 14 day period, maybe that's a good time to try out Hotjar.
1: Otherwise you can use the free plan and still get some information. You just need to go there on a regular basis, review it and delete it so that you can get new data.
0: Yes. Yes. Awesome. Amber, this has been truly fantastic. One of my longer conversations, really. So thank you for taking the time. Where can people find you if they want to learn more?
1: You can find me at equalizedigital.com. And the quickest way to jump to the section on our website for accessibility checker for our plugin is to go to a11ychecker.com. It's 11, like the number, 1-1. One, one. So a11ychecker.com. We're pretty active on LinkedIn under Equalize Digital or my LinkedIn name is just Amber Hines, all one word. And you can also email me. I'm amber at equalizeddigital.com and I love talking accessibility. So I'm happy to answer questions.
0: Fantastic. Well, I will uh, again link to all of that and more in the show notes over at howibuilt.it slash 204. Thank you to this week's sponsors. They are Outgrow, Restrict Content Pro and Text Expander, for members of the Build Something Club, a name I'm workshopping um, I'm going to ask Amber if there are any good themes that she would recommend that she knows are accessibility ready. So I'm putting her on the spot there. If you're a member, you'll get that in the members feed. Otherwise, thanks so much for listening. Until next time, get out there and build something.